I've always considered myself to be a big dog person. My first dog I ever got was, was Daisy when I was about 30 years old, and she was a beautiful 60-pound golden retriever. And after Daisy passed away, friends of ours gave us a Bernese mountain dog named Holly. And we thought that 80-pound-year-old Holly was just about all the dog we would need. Until about a year and a half ago, I went to a friend's house and they were fostering some puppies and I picked up a little black puppy who melted into my arms. And after a trial weekend at home, I convinced my husband to let me keep Beatrice. Now the reason I didn't want a small dog is that I knew that small dogs were yappy that they bark a lot and I didn't really want to live with that constantly. And I was convinced that this sweet little puppy would be always so soft and cuddly and would be probably the exception to the rule because how else would, would I have fallen in love with her? And the woman who ran the foster agency said, you know, I think probably she's gonna bark. And I thought, well, she won't, we'll train her right, it'll be okay. Well, turns out I now have a yappy little black dog living in my house, but that yappy little black dog also is the sweetest thing and I am completely in love with her. However, with all of us being home in the last year during this pandemic and working from home, we've decided to try to train her to the word quiet. So whenever she starts barking, we say quiet. And this week I was on a phone call with Roth and, and I had to keep muting myself so I could say quiet. Well, it turns out quiet just means come and get treats. And after I get a treat, bark a little bit so I get another treat after being quiet for just a little longer. Turns out that being quiet is harder for some of us than others. And in today's text, Jesus tells his followers to be quiet. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, when we tell this strange story from the Gospels of how Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up on this mountain, and in front of them, his clothes changed to white, and he is joined by Moses and Elijah, and they have a conversation. And we don't know exactly how this happened. It'd be completely impossible to know the mystery of this moment and, and how Peter, James, and John experienced it, but it, it is this, this consistent experience that we get in the various Gospels, this moment of the revelation of Jesus' glory, and this conversation that happens with the two primary prophets in the Jewish tradition, Elijah and Moses. Imagine how that must have felt to Peter, James, and John who had been born and raised in the Jewish faith and who had found in Jesus the fulfillment of that faith, who, who realized that what Jesus said and did and how he lived his life was, was what they always knew should be true, was, was kind of the embodiment of their faith. And, and here is the forefathers of their faith, the prophets they've studied, talking with their friend and their teacher and their master, Jesus. It was, must have been a mind-blowing moment for whatever, however it unfolded for them. And Peter gets so excited about the moment. And um, while Peter 
was completely Jewish. I think many of us Americans like to to adopt him because he seems to embody, you know, what we love, a really famous saying of don't just stand there, do something. Peter just wants to do something. Let's memorialize this moment. Let's build you each a, a tabernacle and, and make it clear to everyone that this is the true meaning of our faith. This is how we understand um, who Jesus is. This is this is what we want to live in. If only everyone could see this, then they would know that we are right and and you, Jesus, are the are the right one, the Messiah, the promised one. This reminds me of a story that, that Frederick Buechner tells uh, where he says, what if God were to take that great dim river of the Milky Way as we see it down from here flowing across the night sky and were to brighten it up a little and then rearrange it so that all of a sudden one night the world would step outside and look up at the heavens and see not the usual haphazard scattering of stars, but written out in letters light years tall, the sentence, I really exist, or God is. Beekner thought some people might drop to their knees, others would run in terror, but eventually everyone would get used to it. And at some point, a teenager would look up in the sky and say, so what if God exists? What difference does that make? And in the twinkling of an eye, the message would fade away for good. Or maybe it would continue for centuries to come, but it would no longer make any difference. And in this moment of transfiguration, Peter is reminded by a voice from heaven that God doesn't need or doesn't even want that kind of writing in the sky. God asked them, that voice from heaven asked them to be quiet. This is my son, the beloved one. Listen to him. Listen to him. Now reading this text this week again for the first time, I I heard this as the central moment in the passage. It's not about the glory. It's not about the big revelation. It's about this sentence, listen to him. And what's more is Jesus really hasn't said anything. It's not like Jesus has been preaching or making big pronouncements at this point in the text. So what would the disciples be listening to? They'd be listening to this conversation between Jesus and Moses and Elijah. The listening is, is more of an attending or participating, attending to or participating in a conversation. And sometimes, sometimes our impulses to action, our glorification of glory can be a cementing of something that is not meant to be housed in, our four, in four walls, but held in a conversation. Sometimes our impulse to action, I'll say that again, our glorification of glory can be a cementing of something that is not meant to be housed in four walls, but held in a conversation. What if Peter had been more interested in what was being said between 
Jesus and Moses and Elijah? What if he had been listening in on that instead of getting so um, gobsmacked by the glory in front of him, by being so eager to say, hey, I'm right, and let's make a monument of this, and let's, let's put this show on the road, or let's post it up on social media if it was these days. Instead, the invitation was to listen. And then, as soon as the voice was gone and the cloud had faded, the moment was over. On the way down from the mountain, Jesus told his disciples again to wait to tell anybody until after he had risen from the dead. This theme that goes throughout Mark where it's like, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Even though everything seems clear, even though you think you know what's going on, even though you're pretty sure what would be the best, the best in this situation, quiet. I hope you've had time or have a moment soon to watch the movie, the musical from on Netflix that's called Prom. On the surface, it's a story about the rights of LGBTQ plus individuals, but underneath the surface, and what I really loved about this show is that it's a story about a conversation between cultures and beliefs and the power of listening to each other. It's a story about how we often think we know what the right thing is, and yet we often, even if it is the right thing, have to get below our assumptions about each other to really find the way forward. It's about a small town in Indiana where a young woman named Emma, who has come out as gay, would like to take her girlfriend to the prom. And so the PTA, who doesn't want a same-sex couple at the prom, cancels the prom. And this message goes out on social media, and it's found by some Broadway stars who had just had really bad reviews from their, from their new musical, and they're looking for a way to redeem their careers and redeem their reputation. And so they say, hey, let's take up this cause. And they get on a bus and they go to Indiana and they burst into the high school gym where the PTA meeting is happening. And they literally say, we are here from New York City. We are liberals from Broadway. And Emma, we are going to save you. Now you can imagine how the story goes forward from there. They try to, to get publicity, they try to rescue this, and yet, and yet the town outsmarts them, and Emma continues to get her heart broken. But the story unfolds with listening and softening, failing, heartbreak, learning, until at last Emma decides that, that the solution isn't a lot more publicity, the solution isn't more confrontation. The solution is to host her own prom, a prom where everyone is invited and welcomed and included. And her new friends from New York City and even her friends from Indiana come together to create that beautiful and amazing party where everyone is seen and welcomed. Now, the journey to that moment, however, cost something for everyone. People had to let go of tightly held money and possessions. They had to let go of fame and getting the credit. They had to let go of prestige and thinking they knew the right thing. They had to let go of perfectionism. 
had to let go of resentment and hard hearts. I had to let go of rushing to conclusions and assumptions about other people. And in letting go, they had to listen and discover the beauty of this, this core phrase that's used in, in the middle of the show, love thy neighbor. And of course, we, we know who said that. And, and actually, even in the show, it said, this is the core of Christian faith. Love thy neighbor. Love thy neighbor trumps them all, says the song. It's ironic that even in this movie, the invitation is to listen to the voice of Jesus. Where might you need to learn to listen? Where might that voice be speaking to you to just wait, to be quiet? Where are you eager to rush in, even with the best intentions? It's been interesting these last few weeks as I've been in conversations around the church. I've heard a variety of people saying, hey, what are we going to do next? What are, what are we coming back? How are we coming back? How will we be a part of, of this world? How can we give back? Um, and all of those questions are, are so live and right. And, and I myself find, find that impulse rising up as we come out of this year of pandemic, wanting to, to rush in and help. And, and those are all of the right things to do. And we certainly are looking for the ways to, to continue to build a more loving world as we, as we turn the corner of this year. And also, I want to say, can we listen? And it's interesting that in this story, this big glory story of the transfiguration that we tell on this Sunday, the last Sunday of the Epiphany season, it's right before we turn into Lent, right before, even though it's not chronological in the Gospels, but right before we remember how Jesus went into the desert. And this Lent, as a community, we'll be talking about recovery and what it means to, to recover and to, to listen to our body and our soul and our spirit and our community, to listen so that we can heal, so that we can hear, so that we can find deeper wisdom for how to move forward. So that when Easter comes, we will, we will have listened more carefully so that we'll know how to love more faithfully and deeply and effectively. So I invite you to join me in this Lent season, a season of listening as we recover and we hear the voice of Jesus and we learn to love better together. Amen.